Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. It's good to see you all. Welcome. If this is your uh, first time with us, for those who are watching online as well, I want to welcome you. I do want to mention as well, if you're more comfortable removing your mask during the sermon, please go ahead and do that. We just ask that you wear the mask while you're milling around the church and speaking to one another, that kind of thing. So anyway, I want to pick up kind of where I left off uh, last week. I was in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, last week, and we looked at this idea of being renewed in the Spirit. And so I want to follow up on that theme today and look at the idea of being renewed in the light of truth. So renewed in the light of truth, that's kind of the the theme we're going to focus on um, today. So like I said, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I want to read verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God... We do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before we go any further in our study. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of light, a God of truth. We pray that you would shine the light of truth on our minds and on our hearts as we study your word, that you would illuminate the meaning of this text to us, that we would be able to put these things into practice for your glory, that we would know you, that we would be drawn closer to you, and that our behaviors, our actions, our thoughts would align with your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned, uh, one of the big themes here in this passage is this idea of light, the light of truth. Um, Light is a very powerful image in Scripture. So God's first creative act, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, the first creative act of God was to bring light out of darkness. Let there be light, and there was. God brought light out of darkness. And then this theme of light we see throughout Scripture. After Adam and Eve had sinned against God, they were driven from his presence in the Garden of Eden, from the presence of God, his glory, his light. Later, when God revealed the law to the people of Israel, the law that would point them to their Messiah, for their their need for a savior. God revealed himself in light. Moses saw the the glory of God, the light of God. We saw that in chapter three last week. So this theme of light, we, we, we continue to see it through scripture. When the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, in the temple, 
he would see, he would witness the glory of God shining in light. So there was that idea that the, the, the smoke from the incense would fill the temple and, and shield the eyes of the high priest from that glory of God that would overwhelm him. So God's glory, God's light would shine. Then we go into the New Testament, and again, we see this idea of light. In the Gospel of John, uh, John refers to Jesus as the light of the world. Light had come into the world, had shone in the darkness, but the darkness did not understand it. So Jesus was the light of the world, and as we look to the future, as we look to the, 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 the coming of the, the new heaven, the new earth, the joining of the new heaven, the new earth, we read in Revelation 21, there will be no sun, because God's glory will give light to that city. So again, light is a powerful image in Scripture, and this powerful image was not lost on the Reformers. The Protestant reformers in the 16th century, they made the motto of the Reformation, post tenebris lux, a Latin phrase, post tenebris lux, which means after darkness, light. After darkness, light. The church had fallen into darkness. They had lost sight of God's grace, justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. And so the church needed to be reformed. Where there are infestations of darkness in the world, the mission of the church is to expose that darkness, to shine the light of truth into this dark world. Now, I'm not entirely sure about this, but I, I suspect that every one of us here has somewhat of a love-hate relationship with light. Now, if our desire is to hide secret sin and lurk in the shadows of self-deceit, then light is a painful thing. We don't want the light to expose our sin, the darkness in our hearts. Light is a painful thing. It burns away our impurities. It exposes the darkness in our hearts. We, we kind of understand this image when we turn stones over in the garden. If you've ever done some landscaping work or turned over stones in the garden, I've been working on some stuff at, at my house, kind of cleaning up some rocks and things like that. You turn over a stone and there are all these little beasts living under there, right? All these creeping things that doth creepeth upon the ground with their little legs and their mandibles and all that stuff. And they scurry away as soon as the light exposes them. They don't want to be exposed by the light. In the same way, a police spotlight shining down on a criminal exposes them, right? You see these images sometimes in the news, people fleeing a crime scene with that light shining down on them, exposing them. The light of truth is antagonistic to sin, right? It's antagonistic to darkness. If, however, we're lost in a dark wood, we need guidance, that same spotlight flooding down on us that gives us relief, right? Because we've been found, we've been saved. Imagine you're, you're out hiking somewhere in the, in the woods, up in the mountains, uh, maybe hiking a 14er here in, in Colorado, out in the, in the back country somewhere, and the sun goes down and you're, you're lost, you've lost the trail, you don't know where you are. Imagine that light, that, that spotlight shining down on you, or a flashlight coming through the woods pointing at you and somebody calling your name. You've been found, right? There's a sense of relief. So being the church, being God's people, means being renewed in the light of truth, allowing the light to shine into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives, and then reflecting that light out into our community. 
So as we go through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to take a look at some of these verses, verses 1 through 6 again. Um, really, these, these six verses that we read belong to chapter 3. So just to understand the background here, thematically, grammatically, theologically, verses 1 through 6 that we read are an extension of chapter 3. So Paul here is defending his ministry, the validity of his ministry, by rooting it in the light of the truth of the word of God. And he's contrasting the light of truth with the veil of darkness that blinds the unrepentant. So how can we be renewed in the light of truth? Well, first, Paul identifies what is true, and he aligns himself with what is true. Paul explains why some will not see the truth. That's the second thing he does. You see that particularly in verse 3. And then Paul urges us to let the light of truth shine into all areas of our life. So to understand where Paul is leading us in this text, we need to identify some of the contrasting concepts with which he is working. So again, verse 2 Deceit is contrasted with truth. Verses 4 and 5, the God of this world and all of his activity, that would be the devil and his activity, is contrasted with the God of salvation and his activity. And then in verse 6, the light of knowledge and glory is contrasted with darkness. So these concepts are all working together so that we're confronted with the fact that where there is the light of truth, there's also salvation. Salvation in Christ and in the knowledge of the glory of God. Where there's deceit, there's spiritual blindness, right? There's darkness. Now, verses 1 and 2 accent the need to identify what is true. Paul is concerned with living an honest life before God and before man. The we in verse 1 is an authorial we, referring really to, to Paul, but also extending to anyone of his type, of his kind, those who follow Christ. So if we, followers of Christ, ministers of the gospel, are to live a Christian life, let us do so with complete truthfulness, complete transparency. We renounce disgraceful Ways. We refuse to misuse God's word and to give ourselves over to sophistry, to, to ego building, to deceit. Rather, we rest in the light of truth. So, renunciation, the renunciation of shameful behavior and the misuse of God's word is not just a public thing, but it's a lifestyle. The word renounce that you'll see in uh, these opening verses, the word renounce in Greek denotes the public proclamation of something. You're, you're publicly denying something. So in one sense of the term, Paul can say, I will not tamper with the word of God. I will not deceive those around me. I will allow the light of truth to shine in my life. However, the word renounce can also mean to fail, to fail at something. So it seems reasonable to suggest here that not only has Paul publicly committed himself to truth, but he has also failed to be dishonest. That's what he's saying. I've failed to be dishonest, to tamper with God's word. In other words, Paul's public commitment to truth is accompanied by a failure to be dishonest. Now, truth-telling may seem like a pretty easy thing, a pretty obvious thing uh, to most of us, but the reason Paul mentions this here 
is because he knows how difficult truth-telling and truth-seeking really is. Truth is a difficult thing. Truth is a, a lot of things. Let me just explain a little bit about truth. Truth can be liberating at times, right? It can be liberating when we share a burden that's been on our hearts, when we, we get something off our chest, when we're able to share with others. That's a liberating thing. The truth is liberating. But the truth can also be convicting when others come to us with maybe a, a, an issue that they want to address with us, to convict us. Maybe we need to hear some hard truth about something we've done, a thing we've said, a behavior in our lives. Truth can be painful, right? I'm sure all of us have gotten that difficult phone call, at least at some point in our lives, the loss of a loved one, some bad news. Truth is painful. Truth can be shocking when you learn some new disgusting fact about the world, right? I'll let you guys fill in the blanks on what that might be, but truth can be shocking. Truth can be relieving, as when bad news turns out to be maybe just a false alarm, a false report. Truth can be comforting when we go to God's word, when we're reminded of God's promises, when we're reminded of God's mercies, his grace, his love. Truth comforts. So Paul here has committed himself to being a truth teller with everything that truth encompasses here. If we're going to have an effective witness, we need to be truth tellers, people of truth. If we're going to be Christ followers, we need to be honest with ourselves about ourselves, about our own sin, about our own weakness, about our own motives, right? We need to be honest about who God is. We need to be honest about what God is doing in this world, about what God expects of us, his people. So the first thing God asks of us is to be people who are committed to the truth, the light of truth. Now, once we've become truth seekers, and truth-tellers, we become more and more transformed by the truth. At this point, we're, we are at odds with the darkness, right? We're at odds with the world. We're at odds with the God of this world. In Greek, the theos to ionos, the God of this eon, this age, the God of this present world. And this God is that which we worship whenever we fail to worship the true God, so the God of this world is really the, the father of lies. And we're looking at verse 4 here, the God of, of this world. The father of lies, the devil who masquerades as an angel of light. And Paul refers to this later on in 2 Corinthians. This angel of light who blinds us to the truth. This is what makes the, 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 the Christian life a bit tricky at times. The fact that there is this God of the world who deceives it's a difficult thing uh, to live with as we're confronted with the devil's schemes. Now, I don't consider myself a specialist in military tactics by any means, but I suspect that there are at least two strategies that someone may use to defeat their enemy. One is to stage a full-on assault, right? To throw everything you have at your enemy to destroy them. The devil will do that at times. The other tactic or at least another common tactic, maybe to just simply break down the morale of the enemy, right? To sow deception, to sow division from within until his resolve is completely uh, depleted and you forget what you're even fighting for. 
The God of this world, I think, is very good at both of these tactics. Now, if we're surrounded um, and starved uh, of truth, eventually we fall. That's the strategy of the God of this world. Now, the transformative truth that lies at the heart of Christian belief and practice, according to Paul in verse 5, really is Jesus Christ. We have to go back again and again to Jesus Christ, Jesus as Lord, the glory of God, the knowledge of God. So being in the light means being in the truth. And the God of this world will distort that truth by teaching us a gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the God of this world deceives the church in some of the following ways. The biggest one, I think, the most obvious one is idolatry, which entices us to make anything but Jesus Christ our God. There's a theologian who describes idolatry as making good things into ultimate things, whatever that may be in our lives, making those things into ultimate things, distracting us from the true God, from true worship. Idolatry is an issue. Another way the God of the world works is through the diminishment of Scripture. We sometimes hear people say, maybe we've said it ourselves, things like, don't let Scripture get in the way of worship. Don't let Scripture get in the way of fellowship. Don't let Scripture get in the way of unity. Don't let Scripture get in the way of God's work. Don't get hung up on doctrine. This is false, by the way. Scripture should get in the way of everything, everything. By Scripture, we worship, right? Through a common commitment to Scripture, we create fellowship. We engage in fellowship. Immersion in God's Word brings us to knowledge of Christ and brings us to unity in Christ. Scripture is breathed by the Spirit who will never contradict His own Word, right? So to diminish Scripture is to follow the God of this world. And this is why Paul, going back to verses 1 and 2, says that he does not tamper with the Word of God. He's committed to the truth. Another way the God of this world attacks the church is by adding to the gospel. The God of this world tempts us to think that Jesus is not enough. And so the idea is you need Jesus plus works of righteousness. Jesus plus your preferred political party. Jesus plus your social causes. Jesus plus premillennial, pre-tribulation eschatology. Jesus plus charismatic gifts. Jesus plus, and the list goes on and on, right? We make these other issues central, and we ignore who Jesus really is. All we need is Jesus Christ. A fourth thing that we see the God of this world do to injure the church is this idea of, well, it really it's false conversion, false assurance. The God of this world wants us to believe that Jesus can be our Savior without also being our Lord. And so we say the prayer, we make the confession, we ask Jesus into our heart, we do all this stuff, and then we go on living as if Jesus doesn't exist. We ignore him. That's a lie. We're living a lie if that's how we live. Jesus needs to be central to everything we are. That's what true conversion is. It's a life of repentance. It's a life of confession. It's a life of discipleship. It's not about a prayer we once said. It's about living out the gospel, taking up our cross, and walking with Christ daily. 
A fifth thing we see the God of this world do is tempt us toward what we might call Christian moralism. The God of this world tells us to fix our problems as a way of getting closer to God. You have to clean yourself up first, then you can come to God. This is a lie. Instead, we want to come to God and allow him then to initiate transformation in our lives. And this lie, this is something I, I like to refer to as soteriological alchemy, okay? Soteriological alchemy. Soteriology is the study or the doctrine of salvation. Alchemy, as you might know, was a medieval kind of pseudoscience. This, uh, this idea that you could transform somehow base metals into gold. Soteriological alchemy is exactly how it sounds, I guess. It's this idea that we can somehow magically transform the lead of works of righteousness into the gold of salvation. It's a lie. We cannot do this. Works of righteousness, our own merit, will never get us to God. We need to understand what God has done and commit ourselves to what God has done as a way of then transforming us so that we then know what to do and how to do it. Another thing the God of this world does is he attempts to lead us into emphasizing programs and production over people. The God of this world wants the church to fail at being the church. He wants us to fail to shepherd each other, to care for the church, because we're too busy trying to impress the very people that don't even care what we're doing and who we are. They're hostile to us or indifferent to us. We need to focus on God's people, on being the church, and from there, being a light to the community and those around us. The God of this world wants us to be self-obsessed. He wants us to fail to see the needs of those around us and to shepherd people. So are we giving ourselves and our neighbors the God of this world? Or are we looking to the God of glory, the God of light, the God of truth? Are we looking to the God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? We need to start with ourselves. We need to allow that light to shine into our hearts. We need to let the light of truth expose those areas of sin and weakness. So how can we settle into the truth of the word of God and let it speak correction and comfort into our troubled hearts? Well, shining light into our dark hearts requires risking the discovery of truths that we may not want to hear. Right? And that's where accountability comes in, in the church. Shining light into a dark world requires being truth tellers, being truth seekers, saying hard things, but doing so in love. Right? We read in scripture, speak the truth in love, to care for, to build up God's people. Are we allowing hard truths to correct us and to transform us? Are we willing to listen to truth from sources from which we may not normally want to hear? Are we being honest about what God is doing in us and through us? Are we listening to the word of God and speaking the word of God to others? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. As I said in the beginning, we sometimes have a, a love-hate relationship with the light, with the light of truth. But we need to learn to love the light Right? To be children of light. To walk in the light as he is in the light. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the giver of light. Father, you are the God of heavenly lights. You are the creator of light. We ask that you would shine light into our hearts today. Begin with us. Expose the dark things in us. Remove the veil that blinds and, and clouds our own vision and the vision of those around us. Let us reflect your light to be a city on a hill in this community. Guide us in your grace, Lord, so that we may be truth-tellers and truth-seekers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.